0: Now, I have a very long-winded way of introducing today's episode, and I promise you this is related to the Zodiac Killer, so please stay tuned and bear with me. I was listening to the show Real Coffee with Scott Adams, and that is one that I talked a lot about in 2019 and 2020. I was a daily listener to that program at the time. Scott Adams is more famous for being the cartoonist behind Dilbert and being a writer. Some of the books that he has written that I've read are Win Big Lee, Loser Think, and uh, God's Debris, just to name some off the top of my head, and I was listening to his show, and he shared something that somebody was saying that they bought their father a copy of his book, The Way of the Weasel, by Scott Adams, as a Father's Day gift, and Scott Adams said, oh, I'm shocked to hear that, because that's the worst book that I've ever written, and... It was a little bit earth-shattering for me because I thought that was his best book. I read that book, The Way of the Weasel, back when I was maybe 22 or 23, and I wanted to even compose a list of the 100 books that college students should read. And I would include that book, The Way of the Weasel, by Scott Adams, because it's all about confronting the gray area of life. Or it's some of those lessons that they don't teach you in school, they don't teach you in college, that people are going to do selfish things. And how do you respond to it? And also, people are going to do selfish things, but sometimes they aren't blatantly wrong for doing that. Sometimes there is a type of gray area that we have to explore. Or maybe someone is doing something that benefits their agenda, but it isn't exactly immoral or unethical. It just benefits them in a way that doesn't benefit other people. And no matter what, whether you think that's good or bad, people are going to do stuff like that. And the question is, how do you choose to um, get ahead in life? by challenging them in somewhat of a fair and honest way. And that's what the book is about, The Way of the Weasel by Scott Adams. And he said that was his worst book ever, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so surprised to hear that. The book that he said that he thought was much better, two of them actually, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big, and Win Bigly. And I had a very big life experience when it came to reading the book Win Bigly, because I read a lot of nonfiction, even on the now deplatformed Free Domain Radio, the host once said, Women buy more books than men, and when men buy books, they're often non And I think a reason for that is, I like to jump around. I like to go from chapter 1 to chapter 12. I like to just find the pieces of info that really stand out to me at first, and I don't always read the book page page and cover to cover, but when I got to the book Wind Bigly* by Scott Adams, I couldn't do that. For example, everything in chapter 2 is related to the material of chapter 1. Everything in chapter 3 is related to the material in chapter 2, and if you haven't read it in chronological order, if you haven't read it chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and so on, it won't make any sense to you at all. This is how it's related to Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts. I had this type of um, experience with this book here. Because I've talked about the Zodiac Killer before here on this channel, there are very specific pieces of information that I wanted to know. But if you ever do read this book, Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, I highly recommend that you do read it in order. I know there are going to be some sections that are either more interesting to you or you're going to be more curious about them. But if you do that, you will just be missing out on major pieces of information, or maybe it won't even be feasible to do so, because when I tried to do that, I'm just lost. I'm like, wait a second, which conversation are they talking about? How did this suspect get involved? So, that was another eye-opening experience, that this is one where I have to sit down and read it page by page, page 121, page 122, page 123, and so on. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just it requires a closer attention to detail. And maybe some of you guys can relate to this, but I feel like my brain goes at 100 miles an hour sometimes, and I'm like, I want this, and I want that. No, now I gotta go at like 35 miles an hour and go through things piece by piece. When we get to the Blue Rock Springs shooting in the Zodiac Killer Mystery i found that these sections in the book, Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, are much meatier than the Lake Herman Road murder sections that were discussed in the previous episode, and I think meatier is a fair and honest word. There's um, a lot more exploratory material, because the personal life of a victim at the Blue Rock Springs shooting, Darlene Farron, is going to open up a lot of doorways and possibilities in the Zodiac Killer mystery, and it's also going to cloud the investigation for a few reasons that we will see. But yes, going back to July 4th of 1969, Darlene Ferrin and Mike Mageau were sitting in a car at Blue Rock Springs Park, and they were both shot by the Zodiac Killer, or a suspect, we could say, Mike Mageau survived the shooting, even though he was hit numerous times by various bullets. Darlene Ferrin would go on to pass away. Amazingly, Mike Mageau did not lose consciousness, and there are frequent um, descriptions of him talking to people, whether it's Richard Hoffman or the three people that found him, and he, he was even able to tell them to call the police. He said, hurry, she needs a doc, and they did so. One of the people that had found Mike Mageau actually wanted to stay behind and wait with him, but um, the other two friends encouraged him to move along. And bear in mind that this is the 4th of July, so there are going to be a lot of people out th- throwing firecrackers around, going to watch fireworks and the boat parade. So this is a time when many people would be out and about. And there is a person who is living very close by, The actually, actually the son of the uh, groundskeeper who is still awake at the time. He hears the first gunshot, and he says, The gunshot sounded like something that was different than a firecracker, but because it was the 4th of July, he just assumed there must be some people messing around, setting off some different type of fireworks, but it definitely sounded different. The first gunshot was slow, the second gunshot was slow, and then it sounded like the remaining gunshots sped up and that the person was firing a little bit more furiously, because in retrospect he knew that that was the Zodiac Killer or a suspect shooting, Mike Majot and Darlene Farron. much like the Lake Herman Road murders discussion, I found that this was a very humanizing element. You really learn that you get a little bit more of a connection to the victims in this, and you see how heinous the assailant was just targeting some people who were just sitting in a car, catching them off guard, and ending a human life for what to brag about it at a payphone? I also killed those two kids last year goodbye. So it's like absolutely disgusting and sickening. But as for the way that the crimes were taken place, the first point that I would like to address is that I'm reminded of something that occurred at the Lake Berryessa stabbing on September 27th of 1969, which will happen after Blue Rock Springs, that Many people believe that the victims were not specifically targeted because Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard at Lake Berryessa made a last-minute decision to go to Lake Berryessa. It wasn't something that had been on the calendar for weeks, and it was quite similar with the Blue Rock Springs shooting. Mike and Darlene did not have a well-planned, organized evening. They weren't dead set on going to Blue Rock Springs Park. It was actually somewhat of a spur-of-the-moment decision. And I would also like to point out something that Robert Graysmith really tried to drill in everybody's head, that on the night of the shooting, he said that there was an argument that took place in the parking lot of of a restaurant with Darlene Farron and a man. They got into an argument around 10.30 p.m., and then her and Mike Majot drove off. The police reports directly contradict that, and it's somewhat of a widely accepted fact now, but I just wanted to share this because it's here in this uh, material. The argument occurred at 10.30 to 11.30 a.m., and it was a woman and um, and a man with somewhat grayish-silver-colored hair, but it definitely did not occur in the evening. Robert Graysmith would go on to say a lot of things that were not completely true so you have the spur-of-the-moment decision to go to Blue Rock Springs Park. Here's another interesting thing that I did find in the police reports. Darlene Ferrin's friends and family could not think of anyone who had a grudge against her, or anyone who could, who had some bad blood against her. Mike Majot's friends and family did not seem to think of anyone who could have had a grudge against him, or bad blood against him. Mike Mageau had a twin brother named Stephen, who openly says here in these reports that if he had had some trouble, meaning Mike, if Mike Majot had been in some trouble, his twin brother, Stephen, would have known about it, and he would have talked to him about it. So that goes to show how there is a commonality between Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. There doesn't appear to be a solid motive for these shootings that have taken place. Now, was it just the zodiacular preying on people in unsuspecting locations? Well, what there, what, it, what is important to know about Blue Rock Springs is, while Darlene Farron and Mike Majot did not have a set plan to go there, many people do state that Darlene Farron did like to frequent Blue Rock Springs Park, and she was known to go there frequently, and I said that there were issues in Darlene Farron's personal life that um, stood out, and mostly it deals with the fact that she was seeing numerous men having extramarital affairs, as well as just simply having a lot of men in her social circle who are viewed as friends, people who are just trying to interact with her either on a flirtatious level or on a conversational level, and sometimes it gets out of control. Now, another point to address is, Countless people have a Zodiac Killer suspect whom they can place in Terry's restaurant where Darlene Farron worked as a server, and they say that they have the suspect who was harassing Darlene Farron. They say that Darlene Farron's sister Pam has confirmed that, yes, this man was harassing Darlene Farron prior to her murder, and that this is the guy that was bothering her. In the police reports, very clearly here, that man was identified on, this, on July 11th, 1969, and his name is here is listed as George, but um, we almost certainly know that his last name is Waters, so let's just read a little bit about George William Waters, and he was um, someone who was born in Manila in the Philippines. He wears glasses while reading. He's described at 5 feet 9 inches tall, olive complexion, black hair, medium build, slightly overweight, brown eyes, and he was married to a woman named Judith. Now, George was known to be bothering Darlene Farrin, but um, he states that he became acquainted with Darlene Farrin around the first year, and he called her Dee Dee, stated that he used to tease her at Terry's, and sometimes she would become angry with him. It was his practice to go to Terry's for breakfast after the bars closed at 2 a.m., and then he would usually give Darlene Farron a ride home at the conclusion of her shift. All right, so... George does seem to have somewhat of a functioning interaction with Darlene Ferrum because it also says that many times she would call him and ask for a ride to work. But as far as this man that is bothering her, these are things like teasing, making rude comments, he's trying to push her buttons, get her fired up about things, yet she still seems to keep interacting with him if she's calling him for rides to work. But one thing that George does deny is that they actually had somewhat of a romantic relationship going on. I'll continue with that. George states that he only met Darlene's Fer- Darlene Farron's husband once, and that was when he was brought over to her house to pick him up. Denies ever-threatening Darlene, but does state that many times he did tease her to try and make her angry. States that Darlene was a very capable waitress and had many friends. And um, he didn't know any of the friends by name, but he does say later on in the reports that Darlene was also known to go to the Coronado Inn, Darlene was very socially active, but to look at some other points here, and I will first make a very bold statement. I don't think George was the Zodiac killer. I don't think he had anything to do with Darlene Farren's murder. Instead, he seems like some guy who is being somewhat of a nuisance, somewhat of an annoying friend that she had, but It appears that their interactions were friendly, and, okay, George denies this type of romantic relationship with her. Maybe that was to um, protect himself from his wife Judith finding out if there was something else, or he could be telling the truth. He might have just been some guy that frequented Terry's restaurant and did some annoying behavior to Darlene Farron, but if he's giving her rise to work, it appears that they are friends. If you do read this book, though, Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, page 132, I think, is the most valuable page about the Blue Rock Springs shooting, and it relates to an arrest that was made. And um, This was on the 21st of July, 1969, and it says very clearly that two subjects were arrested. Number one was Donald Warren blank, his name has been redacted, a white male at 24 years old, and the other one was James Philip blank, a white male 19 years old. The last names have been redacted. I think I do know both of them, but um, Donald Warren blank, also known as Donald Warren something, has asked that his name not be revealed to the public. As far as James Philip goes, some people have even said in the comments section here they think that this is Jim Phillips Crabtree, the husband of Darling Farron, Excuse me, ex-husband of Darlene Farron. Darlene Farron was first married to Jim Phillips Crabtree, then divorced, and then remarried to Dean Farron. But uh, this is, the guy's name is James Phillip. And it's not Phillips with an S at the end. It's James Phillip. And while his name is redacted, I do think that his last name is Flowers. James Philip Flowers, and this relates to a particular theory that the um, Blue Rock Springs shooting could have been committed by two individuals named Donald Warren Porter and James Phillips Crabtree, also known as Jim Phillips Crabtree, and the reasoning for this is if we keep going on in the police reports, it says that one of them turns to the other and says, admits hearing the statement by blank after the officers found a gun on him and he said that he would be booked for murder. In short, he's arrested and it seems like he may have been set up to take the fall for the Farron murder. Okay, that is a theory. But, I mean, when you talk about similarities in the names that Donald Warren blank is not Donald Warren Porter. It does appear that that is true, and he has been interviewed about this, although he does not want his last name revealed. Now, as far as um, somebody saying that James Philip Flowers and Jim Phillips Crabtree are the same person, James Philip Flowers was only 19 when he was accosted by the police on the 21st of July 1969, so he's definitely not in the age frame to be... Jim Phillips Crabtree. I mean, I'm just, I don't think that that is something that is too widely disputed. But as far as being arrested, the, one of them, actually Donald Warren, is in possession of a 9mm P 38 automatic pistol, serial number 5170, fully loaded with one round in the chamber. Perhaps you'll remember the famous call that came after the Blue Rock Springs shooting where the Zodiac said, They were shot with a 9mm Luger. So you have this Donald Warren guy with a 9mm, and then the Zodiac is also saying that. That's why um, there's that theory that they're being set up for murder. But that is just a theory. What were they doing together anyway? Well, Donald Warren and James Phillips say that they were looking for a friend named Willie, who failed to answer their knocking on his door, and they were arrested after they left their house. So, Willie, as far as I know, that could be David Wallyott, whose uh, nickname was Willie. His middle name was Wally, but his nickname was Willie, and he's a local uh, thug, drug dealer, criminal. And there's a lot of speculation that there's a connection between Darlene Ferrin's murder and the drug trade. Darlene Ferrin and Jim Phillips Crabtree were supposedly going to Blue Rock Springs to pick up some uh, drugs for um, Darlene, uh, Mike Majot, as well as for brother Leo. I believe exactly they were going there to get some pills and some marijuana, but according to what's in the police reports, they don't seem to have had a very, um, well-oriented plan. It seems like they decided later on in the evening to do that, and it certainly wasn't broadcast across social media. I mean, that stuff didn't exist at the time, and they didn't tell too many people that they were going to um, Blue Rock Springs to uh, pick up any of this stuff, so this is not like something that was widely known, and it wasn't a well-organized meetup. In addition to the 9mm, though, it also says that uh, James Phillips and Donald Warren were in possession of a 32 caliber revolver, It was hidden in one of their undershorts. Both of these two guys that were accosted by the police adamantly denied having any involvement in the murder. And while the name is redacted from the police reports, I do think this is a quotation from Donald Warren, who was saying that he was in San Jose, California at the time for the night of July 4th and did not return until the morning of July 5th, meaning that he was out of town, if anything we can learn that there are not only other suspects in this case, other than the Zodiac Killer, there are numerous suspects in this case. I mean, there really is a quite quite a long list, because Darlene Ferren was connected to a large number of men. Firstly, we've even said George Waters, as well as Donald Warren, James Philip Flowers, and um, who knows who else... Donald Warren Porter, Jim Phillips Crabtree, David Wallyott, and the list is going to go on and on. I said the um, most uh, valuable piece of information for me was on page 132, but on page 144 there's also something that I think is very important because not only does it shed light on the activities of Darlene Farron prior to her murder, it also could possibly provide somewhat of an explanation about how Robert Graysmith manipulated the facts in his 1986 book Zodiac. And here we have someone coming in to play named Gordon Arthur, and his last name has been Redacted Jr. I'm just going to call him Gordon Arthur, because that's uh, going to be the easiest way. And it seems though, that he was the one who actually contacted the police station after the Farron murder, but this wasn't until September 1st of 1969. Now, Gordon Arthur and Darlene Farron were having an affair, and it was even possible that she was pregnant because of it, and it Gordon Arthur talked about how he thought that Darlene Farron might even get an abortion because of, um, the pregnancy, but at the same time, he also says that he did not really want the relationship. She wanted a relationship with him more than he wanted it from her, and she was even contemplating leaving her husband, Dean Farron, because of this. The activities around Dean Farron seem rather bizarre. Um, in short, uh, uh, Gordon Arthur goes to meet Dean Farron one time. It's quite odd, though. He actually goes to Blue Rock Springs Park with Darlene Farron, and they spend a little bit of time together, like 30 minutes thereabouts. I mean, it's possible that they went there to buy drugs, because um, it uh once again talks about how there's an unplanned meet-up, and then Darlene wants to go to Blue Rock Springs Park. I'm actually just going to read that section here on page 144. Okay, so he picks up... D from work, Darlene Fern's nickname was D. He picks up Darlene from work at 1am at Terry's Restaurant, and then they went out to Blue Rock Springs Park, and then he brought her home around 1.30 to 2am. That's a very short time to go out and go to the park, I mean, even if you're just going to be having a conversation between friends, or a conversation between extramarital lovers, so does that not suggest that maybe they were buying drugs that night as well, and then Gordon Arthur doesn't want to share that or divulge that. I mean, thirty minutes is really not a lot of time to um, spend when you're with somebody that you uh, are picking up after work, especially if you're going to um, have any type of conversation or something like that. But um, I'm not sure the nature of that conversation. And Darlene Farron isn't here to give her side of the story. So one thirty to two a.m. Gordon Arthur then brings Darlene Farron home. She insists that she wants him to meet her husband. These two are having an affair, right? But she insists that she wants Gordon Arthur to meet her husband. And he finally goes in and he's introduced to Dean Farron, and I quote, is very friendly towards him, stated that he was in the house painting at the time, and then Gordon stated that he left shortly after he talked to Dean. Dean is the one who is being friendly to Gordon, mind you. That's what I think. This is just some very odd behavior from Dean Farron. Will his, um wife is having these affairs. I don't fault him for anything to that. I mean, there could be numerous reasons. Some people turn a blind eye to it, and other people have um their own reasons. I just uh, think that it's quite different. All right. Did you hear that, though? He's painting the house at uh, two o'clock in the morning. Also a little bit odd, but hey, to each his own. Is this the foundation of Robert Greas-ma's, um made-up story about Darlene Farron's house painting party? When I first learned that Darlene Farron had a painting party prior to her murder, which maybe somebody named Lee attended, maybe somebody named Richard attended, I thought it was a ceramic painting party or something like that. I don't know why I thought they were painting things like bowls and cups or something. That's just what came to mind when I heard the term painting party. But the way that I think it's been described is it was a house painting party. However dean farron openly said the painting party did not happen other people that have been approached by this have said the painting party did not happen it was another fiction that was created by robert graysmith and graysmith even said that officer richard hoffman was present at the painting party. Officer Richard Hoffman was the first officer on the scene after the Blue Rock Springs shooting. Prior to the Blue Rock Springs shooting, at um, roughly 11.50 p.m. on July 4th, 1969, Hoffman is just leaving the park. Darlene Farron and Mike Michaud must have entered the park around 11.51 or 11.52 of July 4th, 1969, something thereabouts, and then the shooting could have occurred at... um, Eleven fifty-five, eleven fifty-eight, really close to midnight on the um, 4th of July, 1969. Richard Hoffman and Darlene Farron, is there any connection? Maybe you've seen the documentary um, when Richard Hoffman is confronted about this. He adamantly denies that he knew Darlene Farron. He says, I didn't know her. Why did Robert Graysmith put that in his book that Officer Richard Hoffman is at Darlene Farron's house painting party? I don't know. I didn't know her there he denies the connection. Were was there also some type of affair going on between Darlene Farron and Richard Hoffman? Uh I'm not sure. He adamantly denies it. One more time Darlene isn't here to give her side of the story, or is this just Graysmith making up wild, silly accusations? Now, I want to know if this was the source material for Graysmith's lie, if you want to call it that, when um this guy, Gordon Arthur, goes to Darlene Farron's house at two AM and his her husband, Dean, was painting the house prior to their arrival, and you can see where I'm going with this. Gray Smith is telling sentences, making sentences that are half true and half false, and it appears he did a lot of that in his book for um his book Zodiac in nineteen eighty six. The end of the relationship between Gordon Arthur and Darlene Farron revolves around Uh, Something to do with his service in the Navy, Gordon Arthur was transferred to the Command Nuclear Power School in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and during that time, he exchanged two letters with Darlene, as well as making, I think it said two phone calls in here, but not a lot. And after that, he wanted to end contact with her because... Um, they were having a separation because he really thinks that Darlene Fern wanted the relationship more than he did, and of course there's some dispute about is she pregnant or is she not, and is she going to have the abortion, and then he just wants to end all contact with her after that. In fact, I'll just read that from page 145 here. When he got leave, he did not even come to Vallejo. He went home to see his family in Fremont, and he did not come up to see Darlene or contact her at all. Gordon Arthur stated that when he got off leave, he returned to Idaho Falls, and he did not see her or did not hear from her again. He stated that he had not seen her since February when he left and was only talking to her on the phone once or twice and only wrote her two letters. Okay, so... They have some type of affair going on, and at a certain point, it came to an end. Now, Gordon Arthur contacted the police here. It says the responding officer was contacted at the station by Gordon Arthur. So, I think he was just somebody who was trying to provide additional information. I couldn't even call him a suspect. Zero out of ten on the suspicion scale. I mean, why would somebody go to implicate themselves when they're not even on the radar? But this also... um could be some insight into how Graysmith was operating with his, uh, Zodiac research. In conclusion of that segment, I think that Darlene Ferrin was having extramarital affairs, and I don't think she was even trying to hide that. Maybe her husband was okay with the open marriage. Maybe he turned a blind eye to it. Maybe he simply just didn't say anything about it. I'm not really sure. I don't think that matters too much. Instead, I think it is something that has clouded the judgment, because um, it brings in all of these other people who could be viewed as potential suspects. And it goes on and on and on in this section here on the Blue Rock Springs shooting. As far as who actually committed the shooting... Another thing that points in the direction of the Zodiac killer is that there doesn't appear to be a solid motive, at least one that is not mentioned in these police reports, other than the Zodiac killer coming in later and then writing a letter taking credit for the murder and stating the very famous facts that only he and the police knew. So I think that is something that also suggests that this was an opportunistic crime that was committed by the Zodiac, or even to the fact that this um, could have been a place where young people frequently went. Now, how would you respond to this, though? After the Blue Rock Springs shooting, there is a phone call that is made where it says, I, you'll find the kids in the brown car. They were shot with a 9 millimeter Luger. I'm the one who did it. I also killed those kids last year. David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen were... Kids, By all means, they were teenagers, age 16 and 17. Darlene Farron and Mike Michaud were in their um, adulthood, for sure. Darlene Farron was in her early 20s and Mike Michaud was 19. So, does this mean that the Zodiac Killer may not have had direct familiarity with them? If this were somebody who knew Darlene Farron's age, would he refer to a 22-year-old woman as a kid? Maybe yes, maybe no, but I tend to think no if this was somebody who actually had direct familiarity with Darlene Farron, And a lot of people think that Darlene is the key. She's the victim that is talked about the most, and in previous episodes I've given my two cents on the subject. I think that Darlene Farron becomes the most famous Zodiac Killer victim because... She was a server at Terry's restaurant, and it's very easy to build these theories that, oh yeah, well, I have a Zodiac Killer suspect, and he went to the restaurant. Well, what are you going to say? I have a Zodiac Killer suspect, and he went to Betty Lou Jensen's high school? Well, he went to music class with Cecilia Shepard. It's very convenient to um connect your suspect to a restaurant. He lived nearby. He went to eat there. He was the person who was bothering her, which we've already talked about. And then um, somebody else also shared this in the comment section, which I do agree with. Darlene's sister, Pam, would then go on to spread a lot of disinfo. In short, it seems like Pam would say yes to everybody when they had a Zodiac Killer suspect, and she would identify 15 different people, I'm just guessing, as the Zodiac Killer, or the uh, people who had been harassing Darlene Farron. She didn't do her sister any favors. So uh, that goes to show that she's an unreliable source. Mike Mageau may have also been an unreliable witness. But right now, I would like to read that letter that was mailed after the Blue Rock Springs shooting that says, Dear Editor, This is the murder of the two teenagers' last Christ mass at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo to prove that I killed them. I shall state some facts which only I and the police know. Christ, Mass. Number one, the brand of ammo was Super X. Number two, ten shots were fired. Number three, the boy was on his back with his feet to the car. Number four, the girl was on her right side with her feet to the west. At the 4th of July, this is the Blue Rock Springs shooting. Number one, the girl was wearing patterned slacks. Number two, the boy was also shot in the knee. And number three, the brand of ammo was Western. That's just the front side of the letter. As far as um, wearing patterned slacks, in the police report, it does say very clearly here that Darlene Farron was found in a slack dress, and um, a slack dress is a one-piece jumpsuit which has pant legs that form into a type of bell-bottom shape, and Mike Majeux was not only shot of the knee, he was shot in numerous places, including a bullet going through his jaw and tongue. Sounds very, very painful. But... Are these really things that are um, very well um, known by the police? And in fact, the girl was wearing patterned slacks. That is almost incorrect. In fact, it is incorrect. She wasn't wearing patterned slacks. She was wearing that one-piece jumpsuit. So what does that say? Not to mention the Zodiac Killer would have approached the passenger side door at Blue Rock Springs, and Darlene Farron would have been sitting down in the car. I mean, what really is going on there? Not only that, this is one of the few times when the Zodiac killer committed a crime and one of the victims saw his face. Because at the Lake Berryessa stabbing, the Zodiac was behind the mask, the Zodiac killer hood. Mike Mizot described the Zodiac's face as, he couldn't make out any distinguishing features because the Zodiac's carrying a flashlight, and he only saw him on the profile, but he did say that the face was very large. This is also what gives us the height estimate of feet eight, 8 inches tall, maybe 200 pounds, stocky, beefy, but not oh, blubbery flat, fat, and so on. But it's really quite hard to know because Mike Majot is also sitting down. Here's also another detail that um, I didn't uh, quite... Um, grasp in the past, and that is the Zodiac is approaching them, carrying a flashlight. But this is not like a mag light or something. This is one of those. It's this large flashlight that would have been carried with a handle. But I think it's a police officer, so they go to get their IDs, and then the Zodiac doesn't say anything, and starts firing. And as we said, possibly there were two shots that were fired slowly, and then the rest of them would have accelerated, and they were shot at a faster rate. I don't know. That definitely doesn't sound like someone who is an expert at any type of anything. I mean, that sounds like somebody who is not very familiar with firing guns. Sounds like someone who's hesitating, as well as someone who is being rather sloppy and not very organized. But also, um, you have the Zodiac Killer approaching Mike Majot's side of the car door. At both the Lake Herman Road murders and the shooting at Blue Rock Springs, the Zodiac approached the passenger side door of the car. I don't know if there's any significance to that um is that just showing that this person is thinking in a particular way? I mean, the zodiac could have easily walked around to um Darlene Farron's side of the car door. She's in the driver's seat, Mike Majot is in the passenger seat, and this just has an endless debate about who was the main target. Was it Darlene Farron or was it um Mike Mageau? On the podcast, Zodiac speaking, Mike Morford and Richard Grinnell shared something when they proposed that the first shot could have actually gone across Mike Majot and struck Darlene Ferrens arm, because she has her hands on the steering wheel, she's in the driver's seat, it goes through her right arm and then through her left arm. So they wanted to, or he wanted to shoot Darlene Farron first, because she's the driver, she could have started the car and then altered the position, and that's the threat that needed to be neutralized more so than the man in the passenger seat. But numerous people think the Zodiac Killer was trying to get the men out of the way so he would have access to the women. Well, I mean, does that really factor into the ballistics and the, um, shot pattern from the Lake Herman Road murders? I'm not convinced of that. If anything, these things seem very inconsistent. Very inconsistent. And, um, I think that this is one that just has a lot of clouds and a lot of suspicion, but some of the widely accepted points are that Darlene Farron and Mike Michaud had somewhat of a friendly interaction, but it was also a romantic affair that was going on. And they won't always admit that. People won't always admit that. but. Darlene Farron had numerous affairs, and it does seem that she was seeing Mike Michaud. Mike Michaud's parents, uh, or family members, excuse me, also said, what are you doing with her? She's a married woman. But Mike seems very infatuated with her, and it does seem they went to that park to buy drugs, but it wasn't a widely known event that was shared with everybody. Darlene Farron did frequently go there, so uh, did Darlene Farron know her attacker? That's what I'm trying to uh, get to. I could go 50-50 on that. It occurs in a place where she was um, known to frequent. Um, Could somebody have been following her? Possibly. But um, there's something about the Blue Rock Springs shooting that just feels so impersonal. It feels so disconnected. And that's not from these police reports here. That's just my own observation. It feels like a very um, heartless, this type of cold thrill kill where someone just walking over with his big bulky flashlight is just shining a light on them, firing some bullets at two people, and definitely not an expert because Mike Majew went on to survive the shooting. And what is also described is that Darlene Farron was able to uh, make some murmuring noises once the police arrived. She didn't die instantly from the gunshots. It definitely doesn't seem like someone who was an expert in, um, expert in any type of uh, military um shots in any way, but um not I'm not saying the zodiac didn't have a military background, just perhaps not the um not like some type of marksman or sniper or someone like that. But this could uh, there could be a lot of reasons that um why the Zodiac did what he did or why the other suspects did. And um maybe it is these two guys, Donald Warren and something and Jim Phillips flowers. Maybe they do have a point that they were set up by uh, Jim Phillips Crabtree and Donald Warren Porter. When I first learned about that, that there's this theory out there involving those two, I didn't believe it. I was like, this must be a mistake or something. I mean, like, say hypothetically, there were two people at the park, Donald Warren Porter and Jim Phillips Crabtree, and they committed the crime. They murdered Darlene Farron. Well then what was their plan? They were like, hey, I'm gonna call my friend Wally or something, like, hey Wally, uh we just committed a murder and we need to get out of it. Do you know any guys who have uh similar names? And Wally's gonna be like, Well yeah, I know uh Donald Moran Blank and I know uh James Philip Flowers. Hey, you guys are have the name James, the name Philip, and you're both named after plants. Isn't that convenient? And I was like, how on earth is that possible? But you heard that those two guys were uh, confronted. It does have a different age than Jim Phillips Crabtree, and um, his name is spelled differently. Crazier things have happened, but that is perhaps one of the biggest coincidences in the world. And if anybody would like to hear more about that, I would recommend Evan from Texas's video on the Blue Rock Springs shooting one more time. His channel's name is Evan from Texas. And I was discussing him with I was discussing that with him in the comment section on this channel, Black Box Online Radio. And he just said, It is an enormous coincidence that Donald Warren Blank and Donald Warren Porter have two thirds of a name that is the same. It's just that's just all it seems to be. It's an enormous coincidence. However, I think that... I was going to save this for um, a future episode, but I might as well just go ahead and tell you right now. Because I've been listening to Brian Davis, who hosts the Tate LaBianca radio program, he is very skeptical of conspiracy theories in the true crime world. And the thing that he encourages us to look for is, all right, you have facts. Now, what makes you think these facts are connected to others? What makes you think there is any type of connection? All right, let's say hypothetically Uh, that James Phillip Flowers and Donald Warren something were set up for the murder of Darlene Farron. I mean, he did turn to him and says, I'm going to be booked for murder, and he was put in possession of a 9mm handgun, or he was in possession of a 9mm handgun. So, I mean, maybe they were set up for the murder. However, how do we know that these other two guys, Donald Warren Porter and Jim Phillips Crabtree, were actually present that night. Okay, I mean, it seems like they have some type of knowledge, but that's jumping to conclusions. It could have been somebody else. Well absolutely, it could have been somebody else, Let alone, if you go through this book, Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, you'll also see that somebody confessed in November of 1969 to the Zodiac crimes, an intoxicated man in prison who didn't even remember confessing. He's like, yeah, that sounds like something I'd say, but no, I didn't do it. And he was cleared. I mean, people do things all the time. They try to make connections to people. They blame people for murders that they didn't commit. They pretend to be jailhouse informants who are offering information saying, oh, yeah, I know who did that. Yeah, the uh, Lake Herman Road murders were committed by Big Red people come forward and say things, well, sometimes they're telling the truth and sometimes they're not. Sometimes people want to set someone up for a murder that they didn't commit as a revenge ploy. It's not only because they uh, actually did it. And I think we're going to have to leave it at that for now. But uh, thank you for listening to this episode on the Blue Rock Springs shooting. Big rest in peace to Darlene Ferrin and the other Zodiac Killer victims. And also, uh, please feel free to uh, visit some of the pages associated with this uh, channel. BlackboxNed88 on Instagram, Blackbox Online Radio on Facebook. My personal Facebook is also in the description box there. You can follow any of those. This show is available for free downloads at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box as well. And as I said, you can visit the Teespring page. Remember, being weird is not a crime. And anybody can write the show at Online Radio at AOL.com. If you have anything that you would like to share that you think is too big for the comments section on YouTube, Blackbox Online Radio at AOL.com. All of that is posted here, and I will see you on Instagram for the bonus podcast, but one more time, please look out for some special bonus podcasts of our own here on Black Box Online Radio coming out later this week, and you can always like and subscribe one more time. See you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.